All right, Psalm chapter three. So we've been making our way through uh, through the Psalms, and the last two uh, the last two Sundays, of course, we were looking at Psalm one and Psalm two, and there basically what we were looking at were um, so many assurances that God is giving His people right at the beginning with those first two Psalms, and there was an image in Psalm chapter one that I just kind of want to bring back. To mind for us a little bit as we look at the psalm of uh, as we look at the psalm of lament, and what it was doing was talking about the good things that come to men and women who indulge in godly wisdom, and it gave us the image of a tree that was firmly rooted by a stream, and what it was telling us was um, that godly wisdom creates in us a sense of resilience and steadiness because they're. It's, a, it's as if a tree that's constantly nourished by this stream um, that comes from the Lord. And uh, if you're like me, then the next question I think becomes, what does wisdom look like when things don't feel so steady? And as we look at Psalm 3, what we are looking at is the prayer of someone who is on shaky ground. And this psalm is called the lament because it's the cry of someone who's facing difficult circumstances and is looking to God for help. Let's look together at Psalm uh, 3. I'm going to read the entire psalm, 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, we're gathered before you. And uh, we have sung to you. We have prayed to you. We have heard from your word. And we're about to hear from your word again. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. You are pleased to call yourself... Uh, the helper of your people. And I pray that you would be our helper this morning. Help us to hear from you exactly what you would want us to hear. Help us to be present. Pray that you would help me to to honor you and to love these people well and speak clearly before them. Uh, Be with us now, I pray. Stir in us a love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So not long ago, I listened to an interview um, with a man who had just achieved tremendous amounts of success in, in his life. And like every, any way you could measure success, he, he had achieved it. He, um, he had presided in leadership over multiple large organizations, and they had, you know, these organizations had grown under his leadership. Um, he had multiple, like a variety of uh, degrees from elite level institutions, including a doctorate. Uh, his colleagues respected him. He was known as a guy that people wanted to work with. And, and on top of all that, he, he had a wonderful family. Like he, he had good relationships with his kids and a healthy marriage. He and his wife 
uh, loved each other very well. And uh, from the outside looking in, he just seemed like a guy that kind of had life figured out. And uh, sadly, what happened was somewhere along the way, this guy who kind of by all appearances looked really squared away, this guy became um, addicted to opioids, narcotic painkillers. And uh, the way the story goes is that he was leading an organization that had grown maybe four or five-fold over the course of four or five years. And the pressure that that created of presiding over a, a growing organization like this, uh, feeling the weight of all that growth and the many people that were depending on him created a pressure that he carried with him wherever he went. And what he found was during this time, even though things looked very good, what he found was he couldn't really engage anything very well. Like he couldn't, you know, sit with people because he was always thinking about just the tremendous, overwhelming amount of work that, uh, that was in front of him to do. And, and this, was, this was the line that grabbed me. He said, I began to hate everything I did every day of every week. And, uh, and, and uh, at some point he was prescribed legitimately a painkiller and he said that drug started to medicate a different kind of pain. And the sickness of his addiction wrought havoc in his life, his relationships, just about every area of his life. And what he did was, uh, what he did was the way he attended his pain only created more pain for him and for those around him. Now look, I, I know that many of you aren't facing the same kind of pressures this man is, or this man was, but we are all facing pressures of a different kind. I don't know what, what brought you here or why you're here or where you're coming from, but there, all of us are walking around with a sense that we have this need, that the needs in our life outpace our abilities to manage them. And where we turn in those places of need really determine everything. They really demonstrate everything about what we trust and in whom we trust. And in this passage, we are hearing words from a king who is in great need. And if you look at your Bible, there, there's probably a superscription under the title. You'll see, Save Me, O My God. And it'll say, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And the story, the story of Absalom's rebellion against David, David's own son Absalom led a rebellion sheds a lot of light on what David is experiencing in this passage. And what this psalm is at its root, and it's a great help to us, is that it's a demonstration for us of what it looks like for God's people in times of great need to look to God as our helper. And more than that, it's, it's an invitation. He, he, is, he is longing to hear from us as we bring our troubles before him. That's what we're looking at. So what does a lament look like in the Bible? And what I'm going to say that we see here is that what we see David do is we see him name his fears. We see him rediscover his comforts. And then we see him deliver a request. So he names his fears. He rediscovers his comforts. 
And then he delivers his request. First, what David does is he names his fears. That's the first couple of verses in the psalm. And what we do is we get this really clear, unvarnished look at the things that are stirring in David's soul. And the first thing that we see is that he feels threatened. He says, many people are rising up against me. And there are people out there who are coming after me. They're not coming after me and other people, but they're actually after me. And for a king, uh, losing his kingdom is, uh, is more than just losing a vocation or a livelihood. It, it really very likely means losing his very life. And he feels threatened. And in fact, the operative word in this psalm is the word many. The word many is mentioned four times in this psalm. And what it tells us is that David is extremely overwhelmed at the things that are threatening him. He says, many are my foes. Many are the thousands of people. Every time he is articulating multiple times just how many are coming after him. And so he's overwhelmed, and because of all of this, David feels alone to contend with his enemies. I can't imagine how awful it must have been for David, for his own son, to charm the hearts of his people and lead a significant rebellion that threatens his place on the throne. That must have just been agonizing. He saw some of his friends walk away from him during that time. And certainly he saw his own son walk away from him during that time. And in the second verse, what you see is that he's fielding accusations. It says, people are, uh, are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. They are taunting him saying, not only have we abandoned you, but so has God. And so these are the things that, that David names in front of, uh, of his people. He names these fears as he prays to God. He feels threatened. He feels overwhelmed. He feels alone. And, and this may see, seem simple to us to be able to do, but it's striking to me just how hard it can be to name our fears with clarity the way David does here. And it's difficult because of what doing this actually requires of us. Doing this would require a kind of courageous awareness. Because naming the things that we are afraid of requires courage, doesn't it? But it also requires actually knowing what's out there. Enough to be able to articulate it. Like, what's going on around me? Like, what's going on in me? And what's going on around me that's got me all worked up? That takes hard work. But it also requires guts to be able to say it out loud. It's really something that David articulates all of these things into a psalm and then places it in the hymn book of God's people for everybody to know. That that requires, like there's there's a level of courageous vulnerability that we also see here in David because he's inviting everybody to know the things that he is walking through. Now, of course, there's wisdom and who you might share yourself with But the courageous vulnerability is required of us if we're actually going to be able to name our fears. And when God gives us laments to pray out loud, what he is doing is offering us an invitation for us to come to him and feel completely free as we bring our fears before the Lord. 
He is saying, you can come to me and say whatever you need to say. It may be true. It may not be true. It may be just what you're feeling. But but what we see here is God saying, come to me and say what you need to say. Name it before me. And then what we see is an incredible shift as the psalm goes on. And what we see is a shift from a a preoccupation with David's problems to a complete preoccupation with God himself. And this is where we see David rediscover his comforts. But you, O Lord, is one of, like those are some of the sweetest words that you will ever see in a psalm. Because what David is saying is that even though these things are true that I am wrestling with, these things about you are also true. And so what he does is he begins to remember God's faithfulness working itself out on his behalf. What does he say? He says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory and you are the lifter of my head. And what David's doing is he is remembering, this is redemptive memory. He is remembering the variety of ways that God has been taking care of him all along. So when he, David says that God has been his shield, he is remembering all the ways that God has protected him thus far. In fact, he even says, you're like a shield that protects me on all sides. And when David calls God his glory, what he's remembering is that all of his honor and all of his dignity, and if he has any glory, it's only because it's been given to him by a God who loves him very much. And when he says that God is the lifter of my head, what he is saying is that any victory that David has achieved or will achieve in this life was accomplished by God himself on his behalf. He is remembering God's faithfulness. And because this is true, because God is who he sees, who he sa- God is who he is, we see that God's faithfulness manifests itself in peace in David's life. And we see it in a couple of different ways. And the first is simply this. We see that David's now able to sleep. What does he say? He says, I lay down and sleep and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. There's an argument to be made in the Bible that, uh, that those who rest in the Lord are able to sleep. Nebuchadnezzar was an insomniac. And sleep, you know, is one of the, one of the ways that, um, that we describe peace with God. And we see also that his fear is attenuated. Look at verse, chapter, or verse 6. It says, I will not be afraid anymore of these many people. And so he remembers God's faithfulness. And then God's faithfulness manifests itself in his life. And that's the, that's the arc that we're on. Every now and then, um, you might come across a word that com- completely describes what it means. Like as soon as you hear it, maybe for the first time, you know exactly what it means. Some time ago, I came across the word doom scrolling. Has anybody heard this word before? Doom scrolling? As soon as somebody used it in a conversation, I knew exactly what they were talking about. But if you're uh, if you're um, not familiar, really, it's a description of when a person 
scrolls through news sites or social media and uh, feeds and reads like one negative headline after another. That's called doom scrolling. And a counselor said, uh, said, said, this, said that this behavior is incredibly common. People do this all the time. And, it, and uh, it, what it, it's creating enormous amounts of anxiety in people because this is what he says, quote, it introduces us to problems beyond our scope of agency. And what lament does that is so beautiful, what biblical lament does that's so beautiful is it takes these things that we interact with all the time that are far beyond our scope of agency and entrust them to a sovereign God whose agency is limitless, boundless. And he's able to find peace there. Look, how could David feel so sure about these things? Like, how could he become so sure that God would honor him? Is that just because of a, like a gut feeling he had? Well, no. He was remembering God's, God made promises to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said, I will, I will protect your line and someone from your line will always be on the throne of Israel. God made promises to establish his kingdom and his throne forever. And David is a finding his assurance in God's words over against the words of anybody else. What he's saying is he's orienting himself toward the words that truly matter. The ones spoken over him by God himself. And so the power of God's promises sustain his spirit. And listen, if you are in Christ, I need you to hear this. If you are in Christ, meaning if you look to him in faith and you belong to him, then God's made some promises to you too. There are incredible similarities between things that we see in this passage and things that we see in Jesus' life. Follow me here. God had a son who was rejected by his own family too. In fact, John 1 says uh, that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He was also rejected as king over his people. He was also taunted by his own people. And when Christ hung on the cross and he died... And he was buried and he rose again. There's an image here of that when we see that, that, that David himself was able to lie down and sleep and wake and walk again. And just like David's able to walk again, so did Jesus rise and is walking again. And these are the, these are the roots of the promises that we enjoy. That the God... <laughs> The God who rose again, Jesus, the Son of God who rose again, is making promises to you. I will never leave you. Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And the promise that sustains our spirit in good times and in hard times is that the same power that was working to bring Jesus back to life is right now working on, on our behalf. To bring us into new life. And sometimes, listen, it, our greatest problems are not that our problems are too big. It's that, our, 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 uh, our, that we believe that our God is too small. 
And what lament does is it, it humbles us and reorients us in, the, in the, the, just the best of ways. It reminds us not that we should be greater, that we need to overcome, that we need to find ways to measure up to whatever the circumstances, depend, or, uh, uh, cir- circumstances demand of us. But they teach us, just like this psalm does, teaches us again and again that God is the great one, that God is the great one. That he is the defender of the weak. That he's the one who draws near to the needy. We learn that if I make my bed in the depths, he is there. And we know that if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil. Because he is with me. And it's only in Jesus' promises can our, can our spirits be sustained. And so what we see here as he rediscovers his comfort is that David's perspective as he gazes at the thing that has totally preoccupied him is changed. And he, is, he, is, he has had incredibly great comfort given to him as he remembers who God is. And it's with this fresh awareness, it's with this perspective that he delivers a request. David concludes this, this, uh, this psalm by, by making two requests. Now hang with me here. What he does is he makes a specific request and then he claims a universal truth. Okay? Specific request, universal truth. The specific request is that is arise and save. Look at verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. That is what he is asking for. He is delivering a specific request about a specific situation. I need your help. Help me in this. Okay? But then he moves towards something that's true no matter how God answers this prayer. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And it's like what what David is saying is that no matter how you answer my request, it is still true that you are good, that you give salvation to your people as you see fit, and, uh, and you may say yes, and you may say no to this specific request that I'm making, but I'm still recognizing who you are, that you are the giver of salvation and you bless your people. That's what we see here in this passage. There is a measure of peace in anybody that's able to say that. Because there, there are times when there are times when God answers our request with, with a yes, right? And there are times where he says no. And there are times when he says not yet. And, and we don't understand why he decides those things. It's not our, it's, we're not able to discern divine wisdom in how he answers the requests that we bring before him. But what lament does, one of the reasons it's so wonderful is it brings us to a measure of trust in a great God resting in whatever he gives to us. And when we look at this, when we look at this prayer, we're seeing a trajectory from panic to peace, from fear to supreme trust. And that's what lament brings us to. One more thing real quick. I was talking about this with Matt yesterday. And listen, if you ever want to know what... I'm going to embarrass him right now. 
He, he told me not to name his name this morning. I'm going to do it anyway. If you ever want to know what wisdom looks like, you need to talk to Matt. Like whenever you have conversations, like whenever, I'm not kidding. Whenever I have a conversation with him, he'll hit me with something, like a real thoughtful insight, and I'm going to have to go think about it for a while. Like that, that's what you're in for whenever you're talking to Matt. But he said this about lament. And we were talking about the illustration at the beginning, the story about the man who became addicted to opioids. And what... What Matt said was that, um, he said this, and I want you to hear it too. What he said is that, um, he suggested that lament, as we see it in the Bible, is more surgery than medication. And that is to say that while we all have different ways of medicating our pain, just to get through the day, What lament does is it performs the heart surgery we need in order to bring us into a place where we trust our whole lives to a loving father. And that's what we see here in Psalm chapter 3, that um, it's opening our eyes, not just to see weakness and struggle, but to see a greater salvation and a greater victory won for us by a greater king. Amen.